Hello and welcome to episode one of season two of Rise and Thrive by Esmerie Music and Poetry. Welcome back, guys. I'm so excited. I have my first time guest, Miss Diamond. Emerald, it's not Skinner anymore because my lovely, wonderful friend is married now. Hey, Diamond. <laughs> hello, hello. I'm not sure if you can hear me. I can hear you. Is it? Okay. Can you not hear me? I can totally hear you. It's great. Perfect. Awesome. I can hear you. You are here. Oh, this is so exciting. Thank you so much for having me, S. Marie. <laughs> you can, I also go by many names, but this is my host name for my podcast, but you can call me Shannon. Everybody on here has heard my name through other people and everything like that. Nobody doesn't know who I am. Right, um, I love it. So in the past, in season one, we talked a lot about childhood trauma and overcoming um, trauma responses and doing things scared. We've talked about um, how trauma shows up in relationships. I even had my spiritual and um, trauma counselor come on and speak on it and introduce her new courses that she's doing. And so I wanted to do something different. And so when we talked, you talked about what it was like for uh, COVID and teaching and how traumatic it was. And I, I immediately was drawn to it because we had completely different reactions, even though they were similar, but also you're in a, you're up north in New York and I'm down south in Florida. And as we know, there's no COVID in Florida. What's right, that? Right. You know? So we were only shut down from March to the end of the year that year, which we end earlier than you. So that was only like eight weeks because we end in May. Mm-hmm. And then we were back face to face. We had options for for other things, but we were back face to face as teachers, vaccinated or not vaccinated. We had some safety protocols in place mm-hmm. and things like that, but we were face to face. There was no, um, I don't want to say there was no option, but it was extremely limited and not all teachers could just say, well, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel safe. I'm going to stay home. Like right. that wasn't an option for all of us. We all could, just couldn't because we had lots of parents and lots of people who were like, no, we're going back. I'm sending my kid to school. Somebody better show up and teach them. That was kind of the mentality down here. Mm-hmm. And I don't want them to wear masks. And so your your reaction was different and your state was different in the way they reacted. Yeah. So let's see. And, and then you even wrote a book about it. So sort of, but more about empowering teachers and and things like that as well. But mm-hmm. so you tell me about you and what you want to share and we'll kind of start the conversation from there. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for having me. So basically, yeah, when we when I'm thinking about trauma and what happened to teachers, I really speak from the place of school was where we were thriving. School was where things were going well. And then traumatically, we suddenly don't have that place anymore. So my heart really went out to everyone who loved being in that building. Um, everyone who it was a, it was escape away from home, whether maybe home was traumatic, so school was a safe place, or whether home was great, but school was still a happy place for you because you got to see your friends. That's where you thrived academically, or you had a sport or a club or just a teacher that you really loved. Like there was a gap 
that happened. There was a, a pain that happened when we lost access to being in the building. And that's really where I came to intervene. There was a group of girls I coached on the spirit team after school, which is a group of girls that love to cheer and step and dance. And um, we just basically have a good time. And it's a lovely community. And it's usually girls of color who end up gravitating towards this space. And every morning um, before COVID, they would come into the building and like hug me before they went to their classes. And I knew that that was something that was not going to be able to happen anymore, including the fact that they were in eighth grade. So we weren't going to even be back in the building that semester. What was I going to do? So I started to make daily gem. Um, well, for the students, they're called gemstone meditations with which is a play on words, like with my, my names. Um, and I just spoke to them. I sang to them. I spoke life into them. I encouraged them to stay connected, to go to their classes and whatever the season was, they would send in song requests sometimes and I would play those songs or sing those songs for them in the same way that they missed each other. And I wanted to connect with them because I missed them. I also knew that teachers, we were missing each other in that space. We missed our co-teachers and we missed our kids. So like I would write a rap song like, um, I miss my kids um, and I got to, to to flow about how we miss that connection of, of being in the classroom, especially during the springtime, which is so beautiful. And you've had time to make relationships and, and identify leaders and, and, and identify what students really need. So you've really got a nice rhythm during that time. So um, that was one of the ways that I expressed my art. I expressed my heart. And I worked to encourage other teachers. And as you said, I did write a book about how to be your best self, be a phenomenal teacher in whatever situation you're in, in person, hybrid, remote, all of those things. So the stories I tell and the strategies that I delineate and suggest um, and are helpful for any quote unquote new teacher, because when this pandemic hit, whether it was just eight weeks or you know a year and a half or two years, every teacher became a new teacher because we had to go online and then figure out how to come back and with all of these new circumstances that we weren't prepared for so there was nobody older that we could ask oh what did you do when you had to decide whether to come back during a pandemic like that there's no one to ask so no fact, not at all teachers, right so like we're all dealing with this newness together so that's also what my book speaks about is like but there are some tried and true strategies that we can implement their character traits and there's something about your humanity as a person that is still um there and that is needed to to be in this space and to educate if that is your calling. And so I hope that this book helps people to stay in the game for as long as they're supposed to. And for some people, this is their last, they're done. Like they've served their time. They're ready to move on. And that's dope, you know, and that's fine. And I respect it. And I'm grateful for those people who also have the insight to say, this is my time to, to leave the field. And then for those who are, you know, still in it and want to figure out strategies to figure out how to keep going and, you know, get some insights into what I did to keep going and get connected to communities like you and I both did, then this book is a resource for them as well. Um, so yeah. It is an amazing book. It's super inspiring. I actually lend it to one of my co-teachers. Well, she's not really a co-teacher. She actually teaches a whole other grade. And um, I put it in her box and she started reading it. And um, she had a baby this year at the beginning of the year. Um, she's had a lot of loss as well. And she has not even finished the book. But what was amazing is she had tabs in it and she was going to hand it back to me. And I said, are you done reading that? And she said, she kind of looked at me. I said, you don't have to give that back to me. She said, I don't. 
I said, no, not until you're done reading it. And then if you need to, or you feel compelled, hand it to somebody else to read. Right. You know, I've already read it. I I was there when it was built, right. you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's an, it's obviously inspiring because she literally clutched it and then walked, okay, and walked away. So I was like, so it's doing something. It means something to people. It has helped many in my building get through because even if they haven't read it, I've used things in there um, with your SHINE acronym. And I mean, the book is called Teach Like a Diamond by Diamond Emerald. Yes. And it literally is about shining through in the darkness and being the light. And it's not just about teaching strategies and it's, it's about God and it's about being motivating. Even when you don't feel motivating, yeah. it's, it's really, truly inspiring and you can use it outside of teaching. Yeah. You can use it in all different places. I mean, it has its purpose for teachers, but it can be used in other places. I know because I have used it in other places yeah, yeah. and, and so it is super inspiring, but what I found is that I did kind of the same thing, but different. Uh, I started a Zoom account and I would have the same three students that were very lonely. I had one student who lived in a camper. Hmm. Like he literally lived in a camper with him and his mom. His grandfather had passed away and things were going on. And then I had another little girl who she, I believe lived with another family members. And then I had, I, I mean, most of my students don't live in the best of, conditions or they're living with multiple families even if it's within their family and they would get on there every single day it wasn't all of my students I had almost 200 students and only like 10 or 15 of them ever showed up consistently but I think the trauma of leaving school because ours had no warning they got on the bus and I said I love you I always walk all my kids out at the end of the day so it was my seventh my seventh period no I had eight periods that year eight So it was my eighth period and I walked them out and they were even asking, you know, is everything okay? I said, as far as I know, everything's okay. I'll see you on Monday. I love you. They got on the bus and five minutes after the buses rolled out, a mass robo call went through and that they were going to close and and they they were going to talk about the two weeks, you know, two weeks, two, two weeks turned into three and then four and then, you know, uh, and then they did remote and it was just, honestly, it was a disaster. (laughs) <laughs> because yeah. we weren't prepared Yeah. But because I wanted my kids I started posting online I created a TikTok uh, account that was mm-hmm. I had never had a TikTok before that even though it was there you know but, and my kids would dance and stuff and it used to be called something else before it was TikTok and I believe it had just turned into TikTok when this all happened Yeah. And, well, I created it and I started doing silly dances and I started talking to them and then we would get on the Zoom and my students would just talk to each other. Like if we were just sitting in a room together, mm-hmm. but not in a room together, I didn't teach on it because I wanted it to be a place where they could socialize just like if they were in the hallways in between classes Yeah. because they desperately needed it. Our kids are not really motivated. My kids are hundred percent poverty they're not motivated to really learn. They're motivated to go see their friends. They're motivated to see the teachers who care about them. They're motivated to be feel safe. So if I gave them a safe place, then they could talk to each other. And, and I mean, it wasn't like I was giving them work that they couldn't do on their own. It was all online on the computer. I didn't need to sit, sit on a Zoom and make them show me they were working. That wasn't the time. 
Right. The time was to create a safe place. And, uh, and we used inspiration from each other to do that because we had a social, you know, a community, a teacher community that we used and how we met together. And it just, it, and we're not the only teachers. It just, but the, the, what's so weird is like, I, 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 down here, nobody really reacted to it the same, but at first it was kind of scary. I mean, everything shut down, the beaches shut down and stuff. Yeah. But instead of me, like, being scared, I actually started teaching essential worker kids because they had nowhere to go. So I would go tutor them on their online classes, sit with my kids on the computer, no mask, no nothing, like like if it wasn't even happening. So even though I knew it was happening, but because it was not happening to anybody that I directly knew, it didn't feel like it was really happening. I don't know if that makes sense. It wasn't like denial, but it was like denial. It's like, it can't really be this bad because I don't even nobody, know anybody who has COVID. Yeah. And it, it was a good six to eight months. I went through that whole summer and I went back to work. And then, I mean, it, I did finally get COVID, but it was almost two years later. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it was super strange. And I mean, at one point I even was like, I don't even know if I really believe it's as bad as it was until I got COVID until my whole school almost shut down when we were supposed to be open because we went back right, right. and then Delta came and every, almost every teacher on campus got COVID within a month. Yeah. We literally almost couldn't run our school. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point we had, we have a thousand and some changed students. And at one point we had 635 ch- kids out, whether they were quarantined or tested positive mm-hmm. for COVID either one. Like they either touched somebody, they were around somebody that had tested positive for COVID, they tested positive for COVID. That is two thirds of the kids plus, Mm -hmm. plus the teeth. Then that's not even counting teachers. Right. And, and so we had district people in our, I mean, then it got scary. We had teachers in the hospital, kids in the hospital, parents in the hospital, you know, and then it became very real. And then it was like this is what people have been dealing with this whole time in bigger cities and we haven't seen it. So you, you saw it. Yeah. You're in a big city. I didn't. Orlando's a big city, but it's spread out. Florida's more spread out. Tampa's a big city, but it's spread out and I live in between. So it's not that there's not a lot of people, but it's not built up. It's built out. Our cities are Mm -hmm. built out and not up because of the ocean and we're below sea level. We can't Yeah, we don't have, you know, we have a Florida aquifer, so you can't build down. You can't have basements, so you can't have good anchorage to have a whole bunch of skyscrapers everywhere. It's just not safe. Yeah. So we don't have all that strong bedrock and stuff. We have limestone, and we really don't want to do like in the Bible and build our house on sand. It's not smart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, like, for us, it's more spread out, and I think that helped at first because we were on top of each other, but it, it eventually caught up. It eventually showed up and it showed its ugly face and it became extremely real. And a lot of people, myself included, were kind of like, this is killing people. This is hospitalizing them. This is really, really serious. And and I can't. And then I had to put myself in other people's shoes because I got it and I was okay. My dad was okay. My mom was okay. Everybody ended up being okay. But other people around me were not okay. Some people had to retire because they had long COVID and they couldn't hardly stay awake at work. Yeah. 
things like that, like side effects that I didn't see in my own household. Thank God that's a blessing. Right, that wasn't right. what he wanted for us. Like that wasn't the story that we were telling. Yeah, but God. it's still real for other people mm-hmm. and it's still happening to other people. People can deny it or not, but I saw it with my own eyes. I watched my librarian come back from COVID and never be the same until she had to retire. And she wasn't much, you know, she's, she was older. She probably had five years left or 10 years, maybe at the most before she, you know, maybe wanted to retire just for life quality and spending time, but she didn't have to retire when it happened to her. Mm -hmm. So that was devastating to watch her go through because she would just be so tired and she would be so down and and you almost like getting depression because she couldn't do her job like she wanted to and Mm -hmm. things she wanted to do she just couldn't physically do anymore and and it just and she's not the only one so like seeing those things and and realizing it's real and then thinking I had parents who were pregnant that had COVID I remember being on these conference calls Mm -hmm. how scared were they how scared were their siblings I taught I taught their siblings. I mean, I had a kid, um, his parent, I don't know if they, I'm, I'm pretty sure they ended up testing positive for COVID, but I didn't get a confirmation. But I had a kid who both of his parents were in the hospital and this just happened. So it's still happening. This mm-hmm. just happened a few, like two or three months before school was out, right after spring break sometime. And he was so upset. And I asked him if everything was okay. And he said, he started crying and he wouldn't really answer me and then he finally kind of got it together and he told me like his mom was sick and they don't know what's wrong and and things were going on and then um he got called to the counselors and I was like what that doesn't make any sense and so I went to call the counselor to check on everything and make sure everything was okay right. and I tried to tell him you know that everything was okay and I said hey and he looked at me he literally said they're dead and I said no not at all like he was oh, that wow. scared, he thought that phone call was me yeah. confirming that they were not okay. So, and I was like, thank God that's not true. And mm-hmm. I mean, but we, we would never do it that way. But I mean, like the fear was real. That mm-hmm. trauma response was real. He was really, really scared. His parents were that sick. And mm-hmm. he was, we're talking about a 13 year old boy healthy and that should have healthy parents we're not we're not talking you know we're not talking about like we're talking about parents that are my age that are sick and he's worried they're dying not thing year old grandparents you know so that trauma is still real and we're still dealing with it and so I think like your book is relevant and this conversation is relevant because I have to go into work every day I mean it's summer but I worry about them because now they're not eating probably properly because I work in a school where the kids don't, don't have access to food they get free food from me all day long until they go home some of them that's all the food they have so where are they getting their food now you know right, are they right. homeless the homelessness has doubled because of the cost of living because of the pandemic. So now we have more um, trauma on top of trauma because parents don't even know if they have anywhere for their kids to live. We have, we just, I mean, gas is $5 a gallon. It's hard to go to work if you can't pay for gas Mm -hmm. to get to work. And so we're just living in a time where poor became a whole lot more poor. 
and access to things became a whole lot harder. And you can actually see that struggle and it comes out in weird ways. So I don't know about you and your school, but violence and like over emotional reactions that, I mean, I saw them sometimes, but then I started seeing it from kids. I would never even think to see it from because the stress from life being that hard at home was showing up in really weird ways at school. Yeah, there's definitely been an increase in our area and the whole district with like fighting and violence that just the, the even the words that the kids said, our kids weren't that vulgar necessarily. They would say behind our backs, but there's been graffiti that's been vulgar and, and along with the words that's been said. But you're right, like just in the last two weeks, the last two months, the violence has been um, has increased in a way that's normalized. And that's what's so devastating, like. It, it was not normal before. It should not be normal now. And we're trying to figure out as a community, what do we do? What are community actions that we can take that this language, this idea, this violence, this negativity isn't normalized? When it comes up, we identify it and we work together to address it as opposed to shrug our shoulders and keep moving. Right. Or just walking away from it. I've watching a lot of teachers. They cannot, they feel like, I don't, I would never say they can't deal with it because I don't believe that. But they mm-hmm. feel like they can't deal with it and they're leaving. You know, yeah. I mean, like in then first year teachers, I, I mean, I looked at them and I said, you are amazing. You are a superhero. Please do not leave. You have taught. I think it was harder to teach this year than it ever was during the last two years during the pandemic. Yeah. I think that being a first year teacher during the pandemic was easier because it was remote half of it. And then hybrid. And I think that was actually easier because you had less kids to have behavior problems in the classroom Mm -hmm. than it was this year because we went back to full capacity, no masks, no filters, like nothing ever happened. Like, oh, well, COVID's over. So everybody go back to normal. But the kids aren't, they're not normal. They're not, they are normal, but their normal is different because they spent a year, some of them two years at home not socializing, watching YouTube or whatever it was they were getting their information from while their parents were struggling as well. Um, And living in possibly abusive and unsafe Mm -hmm. environments. And you are a product of your environment. And even though they might not be acting out that way just because they saw it, But they are acting out that way because they have no uh, way to release the stress and fear and trauma that they've experienced. Mm -hmm. They have no healthy outlets. They're they're using the same outlets that their parents use. They're not they're not using the healthy outlets they would have learned at school if they had been there to be modeled what it looks like to be emotionally intelligent. So I do think that giving up on them is not the answer. And identifying that they do have a problem, but it's a trauma problem and we can heal trauma because we can backtrack and we can model and we can be vulnerable and tell them I'm traumatized too. Yeah. And I can, and we can cry together. I think that's part of, I think our society thinks that kids aren't supposed to see us like that. Like Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to wear a suit and go into my building and sit in front of them. Like I have everything put together. I will tell you that I that is not true, my experience. Right. Nope. It is the opposite. When I don't not look I. right, 
if I don't have the right amount of makeup on or my hair is not sitting the right amount of right, I promise you my kids will come up to and randomly hug me because they feel like something must be off because yeah. I'm off. And they're usually right. Miss, mm-hmm. how, co- how come you, you don't have makeup on like you usually do? Miss, how come your hair is up three days in a row and you, you normally wear it down at least two, three times a week? They notice that stuff. Yeah, they do. Miss, how come you haven't been wearing your heels? Have you not been sleeping? You know, you need more coffee? You know, they worry. They worry because if you're the sound person and the sound person isn't sound, but the worst thing I could do is say, I'm fine. Because if they notice something's wrong, then they're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. And so to sit there and be like, oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. You're just lied to them. Mm-hmm. So the best thing I've ever done is being like, no, I'm not really okay, but I will be okay. And if it's something that's child appropriate, I will tell them. Right. You know, like, you know, uh, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. I was worried about my grandmother or I didn't get a lot of sleep last night because I, you know, some I got in a car accident that actually happened. I had a really hard time. It was really traumatic. I was in a car accident with my daughter, but I could have hit it. But my kids would have known I was hiding something. But instead, I just said, I, I've been really struggling. Um, it was really traumatic. I was in a car accident with my daughter and my car got totaled and it was really scary. You know, and so then now I'm human, too, because some of them have been in car accidents or they know somebody or their parents. And now it makes sense why I'm struggling and their behavior doesn't escalate because not, it's not that they feel sorry for me, but they have an understanding She's more impatient with us or she's more distracted because she has a valid, legitimate reason to be feeling the way that she's feeling. And it Mm -hmm. validates them. And then they are more likely to have grace and not be so stressed out because I'm stressed out. Yeah. But it's interesting, too, because it is selfish in nature and that I'm still getting what I need so that I can then express grace to somebody else right and i i truly think that when you when you show them the real you that's the answer so i mean i said all that to say being the real you is the answer to all of our problems Mm -hmm. you don't bottle it up when you bottle up they bottle up if you don't express what's going on with you they're not going to express what's going on with them and then they're going to I mean, I do it. I do it as a teacher. I I mean, I may not be cussing them because I'm an adult and I have a little bit more control. But the reality is when I ask them to be quiet and they don't listen, my blood pressure goes up. I ask yeah. them again. My blood pressure goes up. What happens after I ask them five times? I'm really loud now. Yeah. And now there's I mean, it's not that you let necessarily lose respect because I don't talk down to them, but it's still count. It doesn't work. Because five minutes after you get loud and they get nervous because you got loud and you're normally not like that, Mm -hmm. they start talking again because that's Mm -hmm. not the answer. They get antsy because you got antsy. They keep escalating because you're escalating. So if you just be real with them and, and, and just tell them for real, for real, what's going on, even if you can't tell them exactly the details, it helps them self-regulate because you're self-regulating. Yeah, I mean, that even connects to the tenant and shine bright because it is an acronym. Like you mentioned, the R is real, recognize real, you know? So that goes towards, you know, current events. If things are happening in the community, like in, in, in our lives, we don't want to ignore them as teachers and educators. 
And then also, like you said, if there's something going on with you personally, ignoring that isn't going kids will see right through that. So you can be upfront and vulnerable enough to share when you're having, a, you know, a difficulty that's, like you said, appropriate and or knowing that you need to work on you and not take out everything on the kids when you are dealing with something. Yep. And I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is, is that uh, it took me a while to figure that out, but that's where I get the best relationships. I have the best relationships with the kids that know things about me that, that other people don't, you know, people on the street don't know. Yeah. They feel special to know like things like that go through with them. A lot of my, my kids have lost their parents. Well, my dad that raised me was murdered. When I say that out of my mouth, mm-hmm. they kind of look at me and they're just like, you, you look so put together. Yeah. And that teaches them, yeah, but you can look a certain way and still have trauma. Mm-hmm. You, you're, you know, like you can still have things that happen to you, but it makes them relate to you in a way that they wouldn't be able to relate to the teacher who refuses to say anything about anything they've ever struggled with. Right. And I think we bond as humans over struggles more than we do successes. And I I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's, I think it's just human nature that we tend to trauma bond before we positively bond with someone. Right. We tend to, you know, like, oh, well, I went through that too. Oh, well, I went through that too. And then that that does create a bond that can turn into a positive bond when it's done correctly. But I do think kids in general that go through a lot of stuff. And I think every child on this planet has gone through a lot of stuff in the last two years. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any child that's above the age of two at this point as of right now that hasn't doesn't have trauma. Because if they were, even if they were a newborn when COVID happened, they had to deal with the stress of their parents going through COVID. Exactly, exactly. And they're two years old and they haven't been able to go anywhere. They're not socialized like normal. They're affected too. And so I feel like all children have trauma. We can't just say, oh, well, well, I mean, they're kids, they're resilient, but resiliency doesn't mean there isn't a problem. Resiliency doesn't mean they don't struggle just because you're resilient doesn't mean it's you're not having trauma responses or you're not nervous in class. I still have kids that wear masks. I still have kids that wear two masks. I still have mm-hmm. kids who carry around sanitizer. There, there. I have kids who lost both their parents to COVID. I have kids who lost their grandparents and their aunts to COVID. I have kids who uh, parent, every, everything is fine and they walk around like nothing ever happened. Yeah. You know, and but all of those responses are all all trauma responses and then you have the teachers too teachers who quit because they were scared to come to work with all the kids they treated the kids like they were going to kill them you know and that's that's traumatizing yeah that's a hard position to be in right you feel like the kids are going to kill you that's that I mean you have the right to feel that way but then you also have me like where me and my whole life uh I grew up in poverty and I will hug the kid with lice and hasn't bathed in five days. Like, like they were the cleanest child in the school. Mm-hmm. You, I would, you would never, you would think I was crazy. You know, like a lot of people would, but I, I don't care how bad you smell. You showed up. 
I can get you some toothpaste out my closet. <laughs> I could I could get you some deodorant. All right. I can That's even take your clothes for, to yeah. the gym and get them washed for you. Right. But I can't take back hiding from you or jumping back or telling you you stink and get away from me. Mm-hmm. Yes. I can't take that back. Of showing up. So I think, I think like this conversation like is a, more about like the experience and showing up and like what trauma looked like. And I don't, mm-hmm. I just don't really think people, I don't think people really realized what it did to the kids. They're not really thinking about their. I don't know about you, but all I ever hear from other coworkers is, oh, well, the parents aren't raising them right anymore and things like that. I don't know how you feel about that, but I think that is not true. I think it's a direct response to the last two years. No, I think that in general, we've talked about how difficult it has been as an educator. There's been less parent blaming but I think as a system we have to acknowledge and like you said there is significant trauma that has been done and that we're not addressing it and we need to team up in in more significant ways to figure out how to address it um one of the things that New York is good at is like doing a bunch of surveys and like paying important companies pay not important but paying companies that think they're important to run these this data and these numbers on our kids without actually providing us resources, time, or the money that we need in the time that we want and need to spend it, to spend time with kids, to do interventions and things like this, like you said, to form relationships with kids, because that's what actually makes a difference. And so it's um, something I think that it is a systemic issue. And it's something like you said, that we're not addressing properly, because it is a result of what's happened over the last two years. Like you said, people being sheltered um, and um, in, in, encapsulated in their own thoughts and ideas and going down rabbit holes and like not being in person, but then suddenly being thrust in person. Some people not being safe. Like I don't even think that we've been able to process and breathe as a country, um, um, as a people. One of the things that I'm doing during this time is um, going through and making a timeline of my life over the past two years just to sit and process like what has happened. So like you mentioned, like people that I've lost and when I lost them and, you know, opportunities that I've gotten and friends that I've made and uh, things that have been said over my life and time, you know, I want to track that because I don't want to lose or forget what has happened because there's a new place that we need to go. And in order to go to that new place, we have to know where we've been and to acknowledge that. And I think one of the ways in just to process so I can lead my students and processing what they've been through, I need to be able to process what I've been through. Absolutely. That's a great way to do it. This to like process what you've been through so that they can process what they've been through. And it, and it is really hard. I like that. I like to end it that way. That's like really good. Like process you first so that they, you can help others, not just the kids, but the, your coworkers and not just in schools, anywhere, doctors, Absolutely. offices, nurses. I mean, I mean, we can put ourselves in the doctor's shoes and nurse's shoes. They're still dealing with it. I mean, yeah. in, in a, and, and, and in a way, they're never going to not. It's going to be a new normal. Mm-hmm. It's going to be something that cycles just like the flu. And there may be more deadly or more sickly versions. And we're creating antivirals. And we are amazing as a race 
God has given us all the tools that we need to be successful to get through these things Mm -hmm. so that we can get to the other side and we can manage them. Um, like just like with any plague. And so we have intelligent minds that we are able to do that. And that's amazing, but nothing will ever be the same. And we, and to start to realize that we need to process what happened and what is and where we're going, I think is the key to our future success and not, we, we should not deny as people that it didn't happen. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't be a, oh, yeah, that happened in 2019. It's over now. No big deal. Because right. it is a big no. deal. Mm-hmm. The world does not look the same. Mm-hmm. We went we went from, I mean, it, and it's not, it's still not okay. We're still not right. okay. Right. And, and we're dealing with new problems now that because of mm-hmm. that, I mean, it's like now gas is $5 a gallon in some change. Right. And, Mm-hmm. And milk is over five dollars, and we can't find formula. I mean, right? Oh my it's God. Just, I can't imagine not being able to breastfeed and having a baby and not being able to find my baby food. Yeah, you know, like that to me is, you know. So we just keep having. It is just a product of what we've been going through for the last two years. But we are resilient, and we, we help are. each other. Every time I turn on the Facebook, I see somebody found formula and they went and bought the whole shelf because they could afford to and they're just giving it away yeah the parents who can't pay for it i'm Mm -hmm. like oh my god we are we are kind we are amazing people and we come together people just want to focus on the things that we don't do and the people who don't be kind but there's so many kind people more people are better than others i truly believe that i look in an abundance but if i can turn on facebook and see positive things happening in my little community around me. That means they're happening in every community, in every city, in every state, in every country. It's not just Lakeland, it's not just Tampa, it's everywhere. So, and I think when you get things through abundance, you only see the abundance. Mm -hmm. I I don't see the negative posts, I keep scrolling. Like, I don't remember the last time I turned on Facebook and I saw something negative other than the unfortunate events that has happened in the schools in the last couple of weeks, both in Texas and Louisiana, and then the shooting in New York. But those are real things that need to be discussed as well. And that's not really where our conversation is going. We could totally have another podcast all about being safe in schools. That's a whole other trauma. But it also adds to their trauma. But I mean, like... Other than that, which are serious things, I haven't really noticed anything else because my mind is a focused on abundance and creating an environment around me that teaches children as well as the adults that in order to get through this, in order to overcome trauma and heal, you have to have an abundant, positive mindset. You have to see opportunity in the dark and be resilient, but not... I'm resilient. I can handle it kind of resilient just in a, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to fall down and not get back up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell, before we get off though, yes. Tell everybody more about your book and guys, I'm going to put it in the links in all the comments and everything, both on Spotify. And if you choose to listen on anchor on there, or if you find it on Facebook or anything like that, I'll make sure all her links are there because she's phenomenal. She also does professional development. So if you need her, you thank need you, to thank you, thank you. 
So yes, it is called Teach Like a Diamond, Dynamic Teaching for today's teacher. And I use the Shine Bright acronym. The S stands for show up and smile. We've talked about showing up today. The H stands for being humble and not timid. The I stands for inspire. The N stands for never give up. The E stands for energy, manage it. The B, and this is bright spelled phonetically, not the correct way. D stands for bounce back and fill forward. The R stands for real, recognize real, which we definitely talked about today. The I stands for invest in you and them. The T stands for tenacity and the E stands for extremely execute. You can purchase it at teachlikeadiamond.com. And you can get a signed copy through there as well. Just write that as you order it. You can also purchase it at Amazon as well. But Teach Like a Diamond is the best way to get that um, book to you. And also you can get it at Walmart. And walmart.com also um, has it out. And I do do professional development. Let's go at Walmart, girl. I didn't even know you had it at Walmart. I, yeah, it's really exciting. So I haven't purchased it from there yet, but it is like if you look it up, it's there. Um, I'm going to have to purchase so, one at Walmart just so that I can have my own copy because I'm going to be honest. I don't think I'm going to get my copy back. It's too good. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry about that, but I'm sorry. Not don't sorry. apologize. So you wrote sorry, a great book. Sorry. Everybody wants to read it. You're so sweet. So, but yeah, that's where to get it. And I'm so grateful to be able to do that. And I put out gems on YouTube um, that there's a bunch of playlists, text savvy teacher, anyone who's still struggling with Zoom technology, all the tutorials are there. Um, Things about how to do parent-teacher conferences, things about how to get the bias out of your grading, all different things. And I keep updating it. And I also speak for events and there's a playlist for teacher church. I pray over teachers because we need prayer. So yeah, um, there's a lot on my website, which is diamondemerald.org. And you'll have links to all of my media. Yes, you guys have to find her on YouTube as well, because she's amazing. She also has a TikTok. I mean, she has she's all over the place. Y'all subscribe to all of it. Instagram, whatever platform, Twitter doesn't matter because she's always giving away free content. And it's always phenomenal content. And she's not just giving it away to get you to buy something. She's giving it away because that's her calling and she's yeah. doing what, what she was told to do and yeah. she's doing God's work. And so when you go and you see, you can tell she's where she's supposed to be doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing. Cause she's glowing when she does it. And Aww. so, <laughs> yes, you do. And, and it is it is phenomenal to be the person who watched you go through all of your classes and your learning and your trials and your yeah. your failures yeah. get to where you are yeah. and to learn from what you didn't know versus what you don't know. And it's inspiring for me to do my podcast because I if you can, I can. I mean, I say Amen. that to other people. I can, you can, because yeah. anybody who's living in their purpose. And just like, I mean, I literally woke up one day and was and said, oh, God told me to do a podcast. I literally downloaded the app and started hitting record. It happened in one, I had a dream and it happened the next day. Like mm-hmm. it was crazy. It was just, and, and, it, and, and, and it's growing and it's learning and I'm learning, but I'm saying I don't ever not want to do yes, it. Though. Yeah, you're saying yes. You said yes. I said yes. And it started opening doors. I had already opened my own doors, but then I did what I was told. And I noticed that when I do what I'm told, more doors open and I get to places I'm supposed to be. And so when I say like her insight is amazing and the content she has, it's coming from her heart. It's coming from her experience. 
Diamond has an amazing uh, energy about her. I think that would benefit all your students and, and any teacher because if you didn't want to come to work that day, I promise you're going to want to be there then. So <laughs> check it out. <laughs> I love it. You, coffee or no coffee, you won't need it. Found her, so please go check it out. Please check out her YouTube. Please check out all her free platforms. Get her book. Invest in her. She'll invest in you. And yeah. uh, I thank you again, Diamond, for being on our podcast. And because it's ours, I say ours because I know it's mine, but it's really not mine because it's a platform for everyone's stories. It's a flat platform to talk about trauma and overcoming adversity. It is. It is a platform to talk about living in overcoming uh addiction and anything and everything men and women it's has been mostly women but i know there will be men it is it is a calling to invite anyone to share anything and it's evolving i'm already planning on doing more with it and in doing video podcasts so that it'll be recorded to listen in the car as well as be able to watch a video recording with us talking you yeah, know, it's one step at a time. And so I wanted to start it out like this because I didn't want teachers or anyone listening to be trying to watch me. And I found my happy places in my car. Like I'm in my car right now because nobody's around me and I feel safe. And yeah. so I feel like a lot of times when people are scared or they're triggered or they want to listen to something that may touch them, they're in their car. They're driving to and from work. It's private. And mm-hmm. so I think we listen to some of the stuff we wouldn't necessarily listen to when we were around other people in our car. So I wanted it to be a safe place to to cry. I wanted it to be a safe place to hear other people's stories when they said they overcame addiction. Um, yeah. Or And you might be high right now, and then you're listening to that story of how that person fell down and, and relapsed 10 times, but now they're clean for five years, you know. I don't care who it is, but I, that's why I started this way because mm-hmm. I was like, they're not going to watch it. If I start the other way, they're not going to watch it because they don't want anybody to watch them while they're high and they're listening to my friend's Michelle story about being clean. They're not mm-hmm. going to watch it. They're struggling mm-hmm. and they cuss their kids out at school and they feel like they're the worst teacher in the world. And then they hear this one and they feel like they could turn it around and rebuild those relationships. You, those things matter. And so, like, I did it because there was a purpose, but it's growing. And I think you and other people that have guessed, but but definitely you as well for being on here and being a part of my inspiration and helping me get to where I am. Because if I don't know if y'all don't know, but, you know, she'd be texting me sometimes and we'd be praying for me because I'd be needing it. Yes. <laughs> so, And that's it. We had revival all weekend. So that's also why my voice is is like almost gone, but I think I can still just, just end, um, because we will overcome. So, um, okay, let's see if I can do this. You can do it. Um, okay. Look out. Cause here we come and we're marching on to the beats. They drum. We are brave, we are bruised. This is who we're meant to be, and we will teach. Oh, that's so beautiful. Snap, snap, snap. And everybody's probably clapping. All right. 
Thank you, Diamond. We're going to close right there. Perfect ending. I love you. And I look forward to having more conversations with you soon. Yes, ma'am. Bye.